And we are live. This is Dark Journalists. Uh, it's great to be here with everyone. It's an amazing crowd already. And of course, I'm joined by the lovely Olivia. Hi, everybody. We have a very special guest uh, tonight, which is Dr. Joseph Farrell. Joseph, it's great to see you. <laughs> there he is. Joseph, are you out there? Can you hear me, Joseph? Uh, hello, Daniel. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I'm trying to get rid of my echo. Ah, um, I think it's probably your browser, sir. Can you hear me? You're fine coming in through, but if you have a second window open, just shut the audio on the window up. Yeah, okay, I, I did that. So, all right, we're, we're good you now. You sound great over here. Okay, good. Well, you sound great too. <laughs> How's it going? It's, well, um, since we're in the selection, um, it's going about, you know, I, I feel like I'm watching a Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoon. <laughs> because we've we've got Trump, you know, hey, Rocky, watch while I pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? You know. <laughs> and then we have, we have whatever Biden is. <laughs> it's like Spock's brain Biden, you know. The, the <laughs> yeah. They're moving them around. Yeah. Wow. It's it's just unbelievable. I mean, talk about theater. I mean, they had George Stephanopoulos with him uh, in a kind of a town hall thing last night on ABC, and he was like, "How does it feel to have given so much to so many for so long?" Mr. Oh. <laughs> President, <laughs> not not borrowing any words from Winston Churchill, George. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> This is the end of the beginning. <laughs> I have nothing to offer you but sleep and more sleep. There is something fascinating. We shall sleep on the beaches. We shall, we, we shall sleep in the towns. <laughs> And we shall never surrender the selection. And, and we shall never surrender while we sleep. <laughs> I'll tell you, they, uh, they haven't given him like shock treatments or something when it goes into the <laughs> <laughs> You gotta love those cherry tongue suppressors. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just unbelievable. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. Mm. And when he goes to an area in Michigan or Florida, nobody shows up. I mean, nobody. Uh -huh. Yeah, I've seen that. I, you know, I watched some lady reporter out in Arizona covering some event that he was supposed to speak at, and nobody, <laughs> <laughs> zero goose eggs. This tells us a lot. Yeah, well, yeah, and he's ahead by fifteen points. <laughs> okay, really. <laughs> It's pretty amazing. Uh, and then you see, you know, Trump with the stadiums and supposedly it's like, oh, he can't get above 39 uh, percent. Yeah, I, I just, you know, where I don't know what kind of math they're doing anymore. But, you know, for one thing, it disturbs me, Daniel, that that it appears that the polls are so badly, badly obfuscated. Oh, yeah, that they're simply untrustworthy. And I think that's part of part of some sort of op because both sides have been prepping this narrative for several months now that there's a con going to be a contested election, and we may not know who's really the president until January. Right. You know, and that that gives me great pause 
because this whole COVID thing, this this election cycle is occurring right at the same time that, that these people are talking about major financial resets. We're watching a huge geopolitical realignment taking place just in the last two months vis-a-vis -vis China. Um, so, you know, the problem is they're, they're going to try and, well, Catherine put it very well. They, they're trying to keep the, the, the dollar system going just long enough till they can roll out their new digital currency, yes. which, is, which isn't a currency. But they're trying to do this. But the fly in the ointment is China. Yes. So, you know, I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath as to how they're going to do all of this if China's not on board. And it looks to me like they don't want China on board as currently constituted. Yes. Uh, well, this is where the conversation goes, really, because mm -hmm. behind the scenes there, whether it's South China Sea or anything along this line, even the Wuhan virus, that mm -hmm. is all part of this kind of new friction with China. Right. And it's interesting to think that China's become such a power base in all of this, that we're mm -hmm. facing off against them in a number of ways. And you've said there's actually a covert war going on. There. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I, I think uh, that if you look at the flooding that's occurred there, uh, if you look at this new geopolitical alignment, which the public pundits are calling the quad, I've been calling it the quadruple entente. And uh, they're talking about Japan, India, Australia, and the United States as part of this block. I've been I've been adamant thinking that Russia's the hidden part of it. Interesting. And the reason why is if you look at what Mr. Putin has been doing, rather than what he's saying, mm -hmm. you know, come on, folks, this is Russia we're talking about. This this is a standard game going back to Catherine the Great. You know, watch what we do, not what we say. Yeah. Um, but if you look at if you look at what Russia's been doing rather than what Russia's been saying. The first thing that, that caught my eye was when Putin suspended a delivery of the Russian uh, S-400 surface-to-air missile defense system to China and turned right around and went through with a delivery to India, right as all of these border problems with, with China were taking place. And then he moved several missile batteries into Siberia. And something tells me he's not afraid of Japan. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what he has been doing. And then India turned around and, and gave uh, Russia a one, I think it was $1.2 billion line of credit or some enormous amount of money. And I strongly suspect, Daniel, that some of that may have come from Washington. And it's just being laundered through New Delhi to oh. bypass the sanctions regime. Wow. So, you know, I, I think there's something going on. Russia's going to try and play the middleman between this, this emerging block. And then just this last week, uh, I did my news and views on France and what Emmanuel Macron has been proposing. He wants an actual alliance with India and Australia against China. So, you know, we're looking at this anti-Chinese block emerging, and I think the reason why is that they've finally realized in all of their infinite 
global loneliest wisdom that, you know, having China as a partner is a rather dubious enterprise if you want to run the world because China wants to run it. <laughs> you know, so. Macron, so, it shows up as a little more savvy than I think people gave him credit for when he first came out. Well, yeah, I mean, he's savvy in this in the geopolitical sense, not the cultural one. I mean, it takes it takes real stupidity to stand up at the Verdun battlefield memorial and say there's no such thing as French culture. But <laughs> you know, that takes that takes real big brass ones to rub it in the face of your fellow Frenchman like that. He also because, you know, had big trouble with all the riots that were going on just before COVID. It's almost like COVID actually rescued his leadership. Well, that's the painting that we're getting in the media over here, which hasn't been covering it. But from what people are telling me in Europe, they're still going on. And uh, the French electorate is still very unhappy with him. Gosh, go figure. I can't imagine why. But, <laughs> but um, you know, there's so much going on with this that uh, this, this whole election to me, you're watching both of those D-state factions that were present in the 2016 election, they're out in force. It looks and it's an even bloodier war this time. Oh, yeah, yeah, very. Um, let's very. talk about some of the manifestations around that. Uh, in the last 24, 48 hours, we've seen a massive deplatforming of all kinds of different independent voices and even a deplatforming of the New York Post, which is one of the oldest newspapers mm -hmm. in America, by mm -hmm. Twitter. And uh, Facebook also limiting it, but Twitter really being the point man on that and just preventing people from sharing it. And what I found really fascinating about what they were doing, uh, there sh uh, the New York Post had this story about Joe Biden's son and this laptop that mm -hmm. had been discovered and that he had abandoned at some computer shop and then somehow Rudy Giuliani got his hands on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, somehow. <laughs> That's pretty good. I noticed Steve Bannon showed up in there too, just kind of, uh -huh. but it's quite a network. But in any case, it looks like they have the real deal and uh, they were about to basically burn the Biden campaign because he had said repeatedly, no, I didn't know anything about what my son was doing. This disproved it and made Biden look like a liar at the very least, mm -hmm, right. um, if not a profiteer and you know doing illegal transactions that they were trying to impeach Trump for over right. Ukraine. So uh, that was a big deal and they stopped it. They just stopped the story. The New York Post went full with it. The Twitter stopped it, Facebook stopped it. And then, uh, you know, so there are all these, this is a war when you come out that front, mm -hmm. frontal, and you deplatform all these voices, but then you go after the New York Post. That's, that's really hardcore. Yeah, that's very, very hardcore. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, you only take flack when you're over the target. Yes. And, you know, I, I think that this effort to try and save Mr. Biden, who's running some sort of bizarre campaign, you know, a friend of mine put it to me very bluntly, and I have to agree with him that, you know, we're watching the Democratic Party fall on its sword and commit political suicide. Right. And, you know, I, being from South Dakota, I remember Senator McGovern very vividly. He was, he was my senator, along with Carl Munt, you know, when I was a boy. Oh, yeah. And um, McGovern was just plain stark raving nuts. Oh, but this, what we're this watching on, election. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we're watching something that is way beyond anything George McGovern ever dreamed. 
Yes. In terms of nuttiness. And I have to wonder, you know, why are we watching this very self-evident destruction of a major political party unless they've been ordered to fall on their swords? Yes. Um, you know, having rallies that no one shows up to, um, not out on the campaign trail. And when he is on the campaign trail, he's met with all these Trump people. Right. Um, so I, you know, I have to wonder what's going on there. And then the in-your-face polling numbers, which are, to me, they seem to be so inflated in his favor, at least the ones you hear about. Um, and then the sudden deplatforming. I mean, yeah, you're right. This is this is a full-on, full-court press, and they're making war on on the American people in a certain way. And you know it's it's gone violent. Yeah. Um, so you have to wonder what the agenda is, and I'll be very honest here, Daniel. <coughs> I'm when we were talking before the show, uh, I mentioned that I was thinking in terms of the beer hall putsch. Yes. 1923, uh, and the way that people learn that in history is completely wrong. Mm -hmm. Because what they are told, or, or the way that it's the event is covered in the history books, at least back when I was teaching, if they even cover it anymore, that's another question. But back when I was teaching, the impression that the textbook gained, gave was that the Nazis were trying to take control of the state government of Bavaria in Germany and to, to launch their movement. Well, this is not true. What the Nazis were doing, what Hitler was doing, was that the communists had already seized power in Bavaria and dismissed and even in a couple of cases executed some Bavarian state ministers. And they, the, the platform that the communists wanted to put through was to separate Bavaria from the rest of Germany again and make it its own independent entity like it had been prior to the Franco-Prussian War when it was integrated into the German Empire. And what the Nazis were trying to do was prevent that because it was, from their point of view, much easier to seize power in all of Germany rather than to have to go state by state and impose their rule that way. And look what we have in this country right now. We have secessionist movements in many of the blue states. Now there's a movement in New York to break up New York State into three autonomous zones right. so that they can get rid of the central power of, of Albany and let the conservative areas of New York not be dominated by Albany and New York City. So you have these secessionist movements in the blue states, which in part, I think, are so that if the country cracks up, they can walk away from all their federal obligations. Yes. And the counter moves here would be exactly as it was in Germany, a, a right-wing backlash against that. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see going on 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 the right in this country. So I'm as nervous about what's going on on the right in terms of an implied reaction to all of this as I am to what's been going on 
on the on the radical left side right with all the rioting and looting this is a in other words this is a very very precarious situation that we're in it's i i can't emphasize that strongly enough it's very precarious well absolutely and you're moving into that deep state civil war meme yes yes and this whole election could be seen through that lens yes that this is what it's for and the reason the outcome is in the ashes of that, the deep state forces, which we'll talk about tonight, can come mm -hmm. in and sort of make their deep state profit, picking up the mm -hmm. ashes and rebuilding the whole thing as the mm -hmm. new smart city world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The target right now is the USA. Yeah, the target seems to be the USA. Uh, and, and here's the other problem, Daniel, the way I'm reading it, I don't know about you, is that Mr. Globaloney, and I mentioned this uh, with Catherine a week ago, I think that Mr. Globaloney has so crossed some sort of economic financial threshold that none of their modeling works anymore ah. because it's conventional and they've crossed some sort of threshold where none of the modeling is able to accurately predict things. And this is why we see the confusion on the part of Mr. Globaloney. Part of Mr. Globaloney is backing Trump because they realized that they needed to reshore industry into North America, which is their power base. Otherwise, they could lose the whole shebang. Yes. And, you know, so we've got that factor going. And they want this financial reset, the digital currencies, and so on and so forth, which they would not be able to do unless their power base in North America is secure. But on the other hand, they, they are faced with so many obligations that the other faction of Mr. Global Loan literally does want to split the country so that they can walk away from those financial obligations before people wake up and realize they can claw it back. Right. all that missing money, all that stolen money, and so on. They can claw back through law. Uh, and then, of course, you've got China, <laughs> you know, which is not playing anybody's game but their own. So, you know, they're, they're, in, a, they're in a real mess. Yeah. Uh, the Chinese are pouring tremendous amount of resources into this campaign. Right. They're solidly behind the Democrats for this. Yes, yes. Yeah, and that should tell us something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting because we see the Pelosi, you know, AOC, that whole sort of thing, which is coming off as Marxist. But you've made the point before that the communist Chinese act a lot more like the National Socialists than the old yes. USSR. They're much more in that mold. Yes, absolutely they are. And, you know, this, and we see it. I mean, they've got their storm up Tylung in the form of Antifa and BLM out there rioting and so on and so forth. Yeah. And, you know, you're seeing the pushback coming now with, you know, so many Americans buying guns and storing up food and so on and so forth. Because, like it or not, everybody senses what's coming. Yeah. And, uh, that to me is another indicator that that the country is in real danger of major crack up and you know if if let's put it this way if if god forbid the the commiecrats should get into power thank you senator mccarthy um if they should get into power and actually go through with their plans how long do you think that's going to play in texas or yeah. South Dakota or Wyoming. It's not going to play very long. Yeah. 
And by the same token, if Trump gets back in, as I say, they've prepped the narrative already for many months now yes. for a contested election. Absolutely. So, you know, I just saw I just saw today, Daniel, right before we came on, I saw somebody had posted a, an article to me about 33 counties in the United States registered more than 100% of eligible voters for mail-in ballots and absentee ballots. Mm. So that's no fraud here. <laughs> We've already set up. Uh, I, I heard that we already have 17% of the vote in. Yeah, I've heard that too. Millions, millions of ballots already casted. That's I've an heard extraordinary that number. I mean, yes, it is. You do expect that with the you know the way that they've played out the COVID thing that they would get some of this action, but those are incredibly high numbers. Those are incredibly high numbers. And here's the bad news, folks. If they think that's all going to break for Biden, I don't think so. Right. I really don't think so. Because the numbers at the rallies are just not there. They're they just that. not there. There's no and enthusiasm. There's no enthusiasm for it. And you can't tell me that that an old traditional, you know, centrist Democrat is going to be all that keen about the plans that the the current leadership has. Now, certainly there are some that are in favor of that. And most of that, I think, is coming out of out of, you know, Silicon Valley and, and the techie people yeah. that think they're that think they're going to be able to run the whole world with their computer models. Well, they haven't worked so well so far. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think I think we're in a dangerous, dangerous spot. And, you know, the, both sides have prepared the ground for a contested election. And that's what bothers me. That's what I was. Well, let's stay on this election. I mean, this episode is the Deep State Target USA October surprise. Mm -hmm. Let's look at some of those October surprises. Now, classically, the most well-known October surprise is in 1980 mm -hmm. when uh, representatives with Bush and uh, who the guy would become eventually CIA director William Casey went to Iran, went to France and negotiated with mm -hmm. Reagan leadership not to release the hostages so that Reagan could win and then Carter wouldn't have that big celebration. And in fact, they released the hostages the very minute that Reagan got inaugurated, showing that nothing fishy there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the deal, the fix was in. The fix was in, yes. Um, and so that's the original October surprise, no hostages. There have been a series of them over the years. For example, 1960 had an October surprise where Richard Nixon was going to use uh, the records that LBJ got about uh, LBJ's people sent in uh, robbers, you know, these thieves to go in and break in to JFK's doctor's office to try to figure out if his Addison's was bad. And they were going to use that against him. And then uh, somehow they weren't able to do it, but Nixon got his hands on that and he was going to do it also. So there was an October surprise there in the works and someone basically, you know, decided it's the better part of, you know, we'll, we'll, we have a better chance of just trying to do this. So they hung in there and they didn't go for it. Although there was lots of uh, kind of mafia payoffs and vote payoffs in that election. But oh, yeah. October surprise this time. Um, this is what I wanted to ask you about because there are so many possibilities mm -hmm. and we have such a short period of time, but we're seeing moves like the move of Twitter uh, blocking the Trump campaign 
from tweeting, for example, and they did this in the middle of this Biden story, that that maybe gives us a hint of part of this October surprise. Oh, absolutely. They're they're deathly afraid of all of this coming out. And I think, you know, I think it will backfire on them because there's already talk now at, at the um, FCC of regulating social media platforms, which is long overdue. Yes. It's long overdue. So I think that's backfiring on them to a certain degree. And uh, I, I don't think they're going to be able to keep this out of the news cycle. I, I really don't. It's an amazing um, thing to try. It's an amazing thing to try. And it's, it's a sign to me of a certain amount of desperation on their part to try, you know, to try something so blatant. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have noticed this this takedown of the YouTube channels, except yesterday, you know, usually on Thursday, I do my dive into the Q people just to see what they're talking about. And all of a sudden, all the channels aren't there. And what are there are a bunch of negative videos about all the channels I was interested in, in watching. And I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. And then I find out, yeah, just today, people are emailing me, asking me, you know, my cousin was one of them. And he may even be in the chat room. I don't know. But um, he emailed me and said, yeah, hello, hello, cousin, hello cousin Marty, if you're here. But, um, but um, I, you know, I saw all these emails I was getting from people. And to me, that's just so blatant. You know, they're not going to, you know, the problem is the presidency is a bully pulpit. Yes. And, and you know, you can't shut down the White House because the White House has, you know, more ways from Sunday to shut you down. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the, the only thing, the only thing is that Mr. Trump has not availed himself of, of those means yet. Yes. But, you know, what, if he's reelected, guess what, folks? Uh, <laughs> no yeah, yeah, uh, he he's going to go after these people hard, and he will he'll smash that network of he'll smash it Twitter monopolies. Yeah, oh yeah, Only for the mere fact that they acted against him so blatantly. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've been they've been acting against him so blatantly for four years, you know, and everybody sees that mm -hmm. that has you know an ounce of uh, an ounce of fairness about them. You know, yeah. I'm not I'm not gung ho for the guy. The guy has done a lot of stuff. Yeah. That drives me nuts. You know, FASB 56 being right at the top of the list. Oh, yes, yes absolutely. Uh, so, you know. It's important to balance out that point of view because some people right. come into it and they're like, oh, I really want Trump to win or I really want Biden to win. It has nothing to do, in a sense, with what we're talking about. No. Um, because there are differences for sure. You know, when Biden says, I want a mask mandate and I want forced vaccinations, I mean, he's completely, you know, that's completely unconstitutional. So he goes, he flies right off the radar with certain people. Mm -hmm. um, but they've been able to train people into this kind of entrainment thing and, and masks and all that are part of it. What I want to get at, though, is something you were talking about there with the Q stuff, because this is interesting, because you and I have talked about this extensively, and mm -hmm. it gets into very tricky territory, but let's do it this way. When Q came out, we looked at it very carefully. And we talked about how a lot of it, when it first came out, was reporting about this Las Vegas shooting. Yes. Seemed to have access to a lot of uh, interesting information about that. Mm -hmm. And then things started to change and it started to act like a political pack, putting out things in a yes. kind of political way. And then it became like a soundbite machine and nobody really knew who even controlled it anymore. 
Um, so I never, you know, anything that was anonymous, uh, for example, it's one thing if you have uh, WikiLeaks because you knew, okay, their source was anonymous, but there was WikiLeaks presenting it. And over and over again, they turned out to be right. right. This thing had no accountability and it was just yeah. out there. And now yeah. it attracted some people who were into research and all the rest of it. But as time went on, it got kind of more bizarre. And now the, the media was able to use it as the poster child and say, aha, Trump conspiracy theory and try to take them all down. And now we see, uh, you know, and it's funny for you and I, because when we were looking at it, we thought that it was kind of culty in a, in a number of ways. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, with them doing this clean sweep of all these Q people in the past 24 hours, that has a weird feeling to it. It has a very weird feeling to it because it it is going to be very easy for the Q people who've now spread all over the world. Right. It's going to be very easy for them to use that and say, see, we were right. They wouldn't have taken us down unless we were over the target. Yes. So the only thing that I think it's going to do is it's going to fan the flame of curiosity about the whole Q thing. And I'm I'm foursquare on board with you. The thing morphed over time. Yeah. And it's it's very interesting to note the change in the voice, so to speak, of Q. It sounds like a different Q than the Q that started out. Absolutely. And you know, to me I go back to what, what you and I said a long time ago about the whole operation. And that was it appeared to me to be a team of some sort, number one. And number two, it appeared to be um, something with access to very sophisticated computer modeling and what? to very sophisticated computing power. Yes. So, you know, the, the and, and uh, I just did an interview earlier this week with Bernard Grover on Q with, yes. with Catherine. And one of the things that we all started talking about was this idea of, of the computer modeling role in the whole operation because, <coughs> pardon me, Bernard pointed out that the Q operation made it appear as if Q was just sitting right across the desk from President Trump and they were waiting to send things on their Twitter accounts at the same time, you know, the so-called Q proofs, the deltas, the zero deltas as a Q proof. Well, you know, you can do that sort of thing. You can front load things very easily if you've got access to computer networks like the dark pools that are used in algorithmic trading on the markets. You can front load things in picoseconds. Oh, yeah. Yes. You know, and and, and this, this, this takes the steam out of the idea that there's someone in Trump's inner circle feeding you all this information. Yes. It might not be that at all. So, you know, the voice has changed, the operation has changed, and and Bernard pointed out something that you pointed out, and that was, what's good marketing technique? Well, number one, use of the imperative mood, make America great again, that's a command. Trust the plan, that's a command. Right. You know, it's very, very cleverly done. And the the drops have morphed from drops of information to drops of questions right you know 
So the whole thing has been very cleverly orchestrated to, you know, bring people in, make them passive. And it's like Catherine said, if this were a legitimate insider operation, where were the warnings about FASB 56 coming down the pike? Right. Which basically Total silence. Yeah. yeah. Blacks out the government uh, yeah. recording process there. Right. The public can no longer see what the government spends on. And this is, this is part of the issue with a lot of this, which is it's meant to say, you know what, don't bother, don't look anymore, white hats are in charge, everything's okay, yeah. and just forget about everything that's going on. And Trust the plan. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a big objection to that. Now, I don't want to see any of those channels censored. I think that that's No, I don't either. Yeah. I mean, that is disgraceful uh, on a number of levels because it means – that whoever is out there trying to control this can't stand up to these different narratives and they feel like this is getting out of control. There's too many of them. That means mm -hmm. that you can't compete in the marketplace of ideas when you send right. somebody out. Right. Um, but this is interesting because, you know, we, uh, I don't align myself because I, I won't trust anything that's anonymous, for example. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm smart enough to realize you have to put a name and a face to it, or it could be John Podesta and the CIA. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Hello, TTSA. You yeah, know. exactly. <laughs> Everyone, you're watching The Dark Journalist Show. Uh, we're here with Dr. Joseph Farrell. His website is gizadestar.com. Highly recommend uh, going there and really researching into his, his incredible books, which I have tonight and I'm going to be quoting from. Uh, Joseph, I have some very interesting links about this October surprise directly from your Babylon Banksters books. Oh, boy. <laughs> And boy, we're going to talk about Babylon Banksters. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to remind everyone that uh, we're going to be taking your questions in the second half of the program, so you can ask them all in caps, and Miss Olivia will be uh, putting those together in style. How are you doing over there? Doing great. Yeah, fantastic. Lots of good questions already. That's great. Um, we have a huge crowd. Let's get into this, um, Joseph. We have a very interesting uh, kind of backlash uh, going on around the vaccine issue. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a hot button issue, which a lot of YouTube channels and shows get, you know, uh, either their show get deleted or whatever it happens to be, because there's such an incredible uh, lock around this issue. Now I had uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on the show in June. Mm -hmm. We were talking about this and uh, he was saying, you know, literally, Bill Gates was was just acting like a Lex Luthor around all this. Yes. And he, he wasn't kidding. Um, but it was quite fascinating because he said the degree to which this, uh, how far along this has got and the amount of power behind it is going to take everyone to stand up just to get some transparency going. Uh, and he also reminded me that Bill Gates not only controls so much around the vaccine patents and everything else, but he also was big into satellites. Mm -hmm. um, so... This idea then of an injectable, let's get beyond the vaccine idea, that we're setting up a system where human beings can be injected with nanobots mm -hmm. and sensors. Mm -hmm. um, what is, how does this relate to the idea of smart cities and all the things, the strange things that we're seeing about this? Oh, it's huge. I think it's huge. Uh, in a certain sense, you know, I've entertained the idea when this COVID thing started and when um, Dr. Lieber at, at Harvard University was arrested for allegedly not disclosing his financial relationship to the Wuhan Virus Institute. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. And by the way, Fauci has a connection there too that has not yet made the public media. That's okay. off the 
thoughts. Yes. Yeah, it's it's definitely there, and that incidentally is coming uh, via connections with his wife, who's connected to Gates, and you know all this in and out. But I. I speculated early on, Daniel, that part of this virus, because it behaves so strangely, you know, if you go to temple or synagogue or mosque or church, you're, you know, you can't do that. And we got to tell you what you can do in your temple, mosque, synagogue or whatever. Uh, but it's okay to go to a casino. Right. And it's okay. And it's okay to go out and protest. So, you know, it's the magic virus, you know, who does it hit? But even there, okay. You know, the statistics are so garbled, we don't really know. And now CDC has come out and says, well, we don't really have a copy of an isolated virus. Oh, really? Wow. So what are we testing for? Exactly. So oh, I came out with the idea. Uh, uh -huh. Fauci very early on came out and he was like, oh, take off the silly mask. Mm -hmm. And he was saying these types of things. I had something I was talking to you about. Um, which is the New England Journal of Medicine. Mm -hmm. And they came out saying, well, we know that masks don't do anything, but you know what? They're a pretty good talisman. A talisman. A talisman in a scientific journal. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. If you want to be protected from the virus, folks, buy yourself a hazmat suit. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> that's, that's the bottom line here. Um, but I was toying with the idea that the virus may be a bioelectrical sort of thing. In other words, literally something that can be turned on or turned off by an electromagnetic signal over a region. And we know the Soviets did all sorts of research in this during the 70s. Yes. They were absolutely locked on to this electromagnetic medicine model. And... Imagine then if you are able to in to put into a vaccine all sorts of heavy metal. What does that do? Well, certain kinds of heavy metal will dramatically increase the electrical efficiency of your body so that you become much more like an antenna or a receiver that is much more effective in its ability to receive signals from an outside source. And then you read Bill Gates's patents, and yeah, he's talking about nanobots. There's Dr. Lieber and all sorts of stuff. Then there, were, there was that Italian study uh, a few months ago where Italian uh, clinicians had gone in and tested a bunch of viruses just to see what was in them. Right. And they found a bunch of heavy metal nanoparticles that they could not identify. And, why, you know, there was no explanation as to why they were there. So in other words, the virus and the vaccine to me is a cover story to get people to take something else that they want to make sure everybody has. Right. And again, if you, if you are a more efficient electrical signal receiver, that makes the, the hard technologies of mind manipulation all that much more effective. You can't turn it off once it's inside of you. Right. That's a hell on earth. That's a hell on earth. Plus, you know, you look at that Soviet research, and particularly the way that uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Tom Bearden has described it in much of his, his work over the years, I mean, going back decades now, it's possible to modulate signals that, you know, through your computer monitor, 
It's possible to modulate signals into any electrical system whatsoever, including the power grid, to literally shut you down, give you a heart attack, or, you know, right as you're sitting there, and making it look entirely natural. Now, here's the funny thing. Some of those, some of the electromagnetic energy signatures will look to a pathologist like the same types of symptoms as a respiratory disease. So stop back and think of all those flights of geese in Idaho dropping dead out of the sky, and we were told, oh, well, they contacted sudden onset bird flu. Well, yeah, that means they contacted, uh, contracted southern, a sudden animal death bird flu at the same time, and it all developed at the same speed, and they all fell dead of sudden sudden onset bird flu at the same time and fell out of the sky. Wow. It was activated. It was activated. Bingo. Turn on the switch. Ding, ding, ding. Wow. So, you know, Bill Gates, Bill Gates's model then is, is, is the micro sludge model of vaccination. Get your update downloaded now for free. Take our chip, you know, right. sorry folks. Virus updates over and over. Virus updates. Yeah. Bingo. And we all remember how bad the Microsoft software was over and over again. Precisely. Uh, this is fascinating. Of course, Gates and Fauci, that's a block. That's a block. And they're moving on in. Um, if we were to go into almost other, uh, let, let's look at the vaccine part a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me, and I, I grabbed a few quotes about this, there was a story that was rolling around here. It came from a, a bootleg video that was taken in 2005. And this was very interesting because it was this scientist giving a little exposition about the God gene and how they had developed this uh, vaccine called Funvax. And <laughs> it uh, was to shut off the gene in the brain of these fundamentalists so they wouldn't, you know, sort of have this uh, suicide bomber mentality. They wouldn't, you know, have all this going on. When it came out, Snopes and these other people tried to take it down Reuters by saying the conspiracy theory says that that's Gates that's up there. It clearly was not. But they tagged that along with it and that they were able to debunk. And so they were able to kind of dismiss the whole video, which was basically a Pentagon presentation on a vaccine they were working on to shut off a center of the brain which goes into the spiritual belief system of a human being. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we look at where that's going, uh, you know, we talk a great deal about Rudolf Steiner on this show. Mm -hmm. And Steiner, although he's around in like 1920, World War I era, he's talking a lot about what they call inoculations at the time. And uh, so he has a few interesting things to say about it. Interestingly enough, the Waldorf schools that he's so popular for creating are under great attack because they're not big into vaccines either. Uh, but that's a picture of Steiner there. Okay. A quick quote from Steiner, and then we'll get into this. And he says, I've pointed out that while human bodies will develop in such a way that certain spiritualities can find room in them, the materialistic bent, which will spread more and more under the guidance of spirits of darkness, will work against this and combat it by physical means. I've told you that the spirits of darkness are going to inspire their human hosts 
in whom they will be dwelling to find a vaccine that will drive all inclination towards spirituality out of people's souls when they're still very young. And this will happen in a roundabout way through the living body. Now he goes on here and it's quite fascinating. And I wanna say something here, which is uh, I, I keep seeing kind of chopped up versions of this online. And I think it's great that Steiner's getting the interest. We try to always present his work because it's so such a core foundation of what we do. But this lecture, uh, this quote comes from lecture 13, the fallen spirits influence in the world in Doorknock, October 27th, October 1917. That's where it's from. You can get the quote. It's actually part of the Steiner archives. It's very easy to verify, etc. I've been seeing some of them up there that misspell Armon, and you know, there's all kinds of weird bastardizations of this, which which make you wonder or if it's just sloppy research. In any case, that's clearly there, and he has a track record of that. My question for you is: uh, Steiner's vision there is that he can see down the road with the scientific materialism. This is mm -hmm. this is where they're headed. There are these kind of spiritual and cosmological, um, even like the mark of the beast type ideas that we've heard echo back there in religions. Is it fair to look at this period and what's happening through the lens of what some of these traditions were saying, say in the mystery schools and the earlier religious? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it is. Absolutely. I think it is. You know, if, if let's put it, in, in fundamental terms, if there is a God gene, in other words, if there is designed into our biological makeup a gene that inclines us toward the transcendent, toward God, towards virtue, morality, things like this, if there is such a thing, why is it there and who put it there? Right. In other words, you can go back to some of the very early church fathers, and they will, they will be very blunt and say that the image and likeness of God in mankind is not merely confined to that part of us which is incorporeal, or in other words, completely spiritual. It's also des by design in our very physical makeup Right. And they will go so far as to say even the human form itself, you know, two legs, two arms, and so on, is in itself part of the image and likeness of God. And, of course, in their thinking, they're thinking of the incarnation. If God himself becomes man, then literally you're seeing the face of God in human form when you gaze on the face of Christ. So they are very rigorous in tracing out all the implications of that doctrine, of that belief in terms of their piety and in terms of how they think about things. So if, if you have someone like Rudolf Steiner, who is familiar with some of that literature, you know, he's growing up in Lutheran Germany and, you know, the Lutherans, like it or not, are the ones that invented patristics as an academic discipline. Mm -hmm. So the, if you've got someone like that, Who's, who's familiar with that literature, and he's kind of updating it, so to speak, in terms of a um, look at what's happening in the materialistic science world. He's going to say things like that. And incidentally, you can find very similar things to what he said in C.S. Lewis. So in other words, yeah, it's, it's something that is falling out of uh, 
it's falling out of their doctrine and it's falling out of the way they're looking at where science is going. And lo and behold, yeah, that's exactly what people are saying now. Well, we got to get rid of all of that that inclines humanity towards an obedience to conscience or transcendence or God or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, because for them to have their new world order, they, they cannot have any control system or mechanism out there that allows people to appeal to something that gives them some independence of conscience and action. And that's, you know, that's the age old game of tyranny. You know, Lucifer said it, you know, in, in the gospels, bow down and worship me and I can give you all the kingdoms of the world. Right. You know, so it's, it's an old thing that we're watching play out here. It's, it's very, very old. It's amazing to me that so much of what's going on plays right into this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. From shutting down uh, church worship services, for example. Well, let's let's go back to um, something that Dr. DeHart and I pointed out in, in that little book that we came out with called Yahweh, the Two-Faced God. Yeah. Um, the... The interesting thing is if you look at the financial community in the 19th century with respect to their links to American revivalism and evangelicalism, these are the people that are promoting the Schofield Reference Bible, okay? And that's the Bible that popularized the doctrine of what I like to call the two-stage second coming of Christ. Rapture here and church escapes scot-free from having to go through any martyrdom or suffering or anything like that. Everybody else is stuck here with the tribulation, two bad guys, um, you know, and we're up here in heaven and we're watching all of you people suffer and serve Antichrist. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, it's, it's big financiers and oilmen whose money are promoting this thing. Interesting. And they are able, through their power and influence, to get Oxford University Press to publish this. Now, that's significant, folks, because the doctrine that they're promoting is not traditional historical Christian doctrine. And at one point, the Church of England came right out and actually excommunicated somebody in one of its rare moments of clarity <laughs> for, for teaching that doctrine. So in other words, what I'm telling you is no way would an Anglican press publish a book advocating things that are not part of the received doctrine of the Church of England unless there's a great deal of money behind it. And lo and behold, there is. Wow. So to make a long story short, the reason I raised that is if you look at what's going on now and what they're trying to put into place, it's like they've taken that dispensationalist reading of Christian eschatology and made it their playbook. That's what's frightening to me because I've warned my people over and over again. The fulfillment is the deception. They may try to stage it all. Mm. That's <laughs> yeah. That's all a heavy and physical enhancements. Uh huh. Well, yeah. we've talked yeah. about this with um, archaeology wars. Yeah. Ding ding uh, ding. <laughs> <laughs> ding ding ding. I just did a blog, Daniel, about 
some of these emails that have been recently released by um, Pompeo, Sec Secretary of State Pompeo. Yes. And one of the emails that he's declassified and released is, you can read it on my blog. Uh, it's called, um, uh, let's see here, let me look real fast. Is there, there's something about the Nephilim in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the State Department and the Nephilim or something like that. Right. And... Um, one of the emails is about the State Department, somebody at the State Department requesting all documents relating to the tomb of Gilgamesh. Oh yeah. <laughs> and the tomb of the the tombs of the Nephilim. Wow. And <laughs> you know, talk about a slap in the face. You know, to me that that's just an indicator, yeah, there there was something going on with the invasion of Iraq that had nothing to do with Saddam Hussein, alleged weapons of mass destruction. It had everything to do with kicking out the German and French archaeological teams in Iraq and putting our own in there so that we could gain access to those sites and control of the narrative. Now, question. Why would you want to get tombs of the Nephilim? DNA. Yes. DNA. If you, if you suspected that any of those people were still around, and I'm using the word people very loosely because they were a really, na really nasty lot. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you suspected any of them were still around, how would you test for them? Since, you know, every record says they kind of look like us, walk like us, and quack like us. Well, DNA. And where are you going to get that? The original you know, tomb. The origin yeah, the original tombs. You know, if you can sequence any of that DNA, if any of that stuff is still sequenceable, that's how you do it. So yeah, it's interconnected, and I think they're using I think they're using a, a, a quasi biblical, quasi Quranic, quasi Talmudic, you know, template for all of this. Right. Well, this is very interesting to me because um, we saw a flood uh, like around Zechariah Sitchin's work, a mm -hmm. flood of Anunnaki. Um, researchers, and it was like at a certain point, it was just saturated. Mm -hmm. And the Nephilim, if you look at the core idea of the Nephilim, there's so much good, solid, interesting background to what was going on there. Mm -hmm. But that's much more fascinating than any of the research that came out with this like simple idea that, like, oh, hey, they're aliens, they came here, they enslaved us, made us make gold, and then they tinkered with us, the DNA, and, and that's the story, you know, like, anyone can buy that story, and that's kind of like the ancient Aliens franchise has gone off on that for 12 years, and it's gone round and round in circles, but the Nephilim encompasses a lot more than the idea of an alien. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does, yeah, it does, because uh, the, Genesis, uh, the Genesis story makes it very clear at least if you if you are approaching it from the standpoint of uh, traditional doctrine, in other words, the, the tradition that, that has been maintained with respect to it, is it's very clear that these were the fallen angels, right? Literally, literally the sons of God that were able somehow to to mingle themselves with with human nature and you know produce offspring. And, uh, you know, again, 
you find that story and not just in the Bible, you find it pretty much, you know, everywhere you look, if you know what to look for, you know, it's in the Popol Vuh and the Mayans, for instance. Right. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, if, if you're dealing with, with fallen angels, every text that I've ever read indicates that these are, are not nice entities. That's, you know, putting it very mildly. They have kind of a, a spiritual habit that inclines them toward evil things and evil doing, particularly with respect to mankind. So, yeah, it looks to me like, like they're invoking some sort of template here that's a very, very old, old thing. And, you know, that's, that's bad news because they're doing it all under the guise of science. Right. You know, follow the science we keep hearing. Well, you know, problem number one is science is not a dogmatic system. It changes. But to imply that it is a dogmatic system implies a narrative, and that's what we see being enforced. And it also implies an ability to shut down any countervailing narrative or any opposing science or what have you. And that, again, is also what we're seeing. So yeah, I, I think we're I think we're in very very perilous times, to be quite blunt. Well, look at that's fascinating actually, because if we think about the high priests of science, you know, look how they're trying to make mm -hmm. Gates and Fauci leaders, mm -hmm. which is amazing because neither of them have any leadership qualities. You know, Gates can barely stand in an interview. Right. <laughs> And he right. became one of the most unpopular people and spokesmen for this whole mm -hmm. thing. He almost shut it down in reverse because he was so unpopular when he came out. The people right. were like, we're not going to deal with Bill Gates. Mm -hmm. um, but this is interesting to me because they are kind of like, you know, Darwin, in a sense, ascended to this position. And even he didn't want it. But right. they put him up and they were like, you're the new god. You know, and here's the god of science to replace mm -hmm. the god of religion. Right. Yeah. It's it's it's. It's a, uh, it's coming out of, Daniel, I think, this inclination that we have had in, in the West since Rene Descartes to view reason, human reason itself, as nothing but mere ratiocination. Whereas to the ancients, to a Plato or to an Aristotle or a Plotinus or whoever, or to the Stoics, reason meant something more than mankind's merely ratiocinating powers. It also encompassed his passions. It encompassed his emotional life. And the rational person didn't neglect those things, but tempered them and balanced them. Because it, you know, we call it intuition now. But to them it was part of it was part of reason itself. It was inbuilt. You know, we've we've gone on in the West for centuries now thinking of animals as nothing but kind of uh, automatons yes reacting you know to their to their instincts and the problem is instincts just like reason itself is a program it's part of the software and it's how we use that software so we've we've we're watching we're watching the deification of something that ultimately then isn't human Right. It's more of a machine. Because if you reduce human reason to mere ratiocination, it becomes digital mm -hmm. rather than analog. 
And that's why once you make that step philosophically, that's why we've got the transhumanists. Well, we can download you and upload you. Right. Your personality is nothing but information. And again, that that's another theological, to be blunt, that's another theological dilemma because the West eventually came to equate the soul and person as the same thing. Mm -hmm. And they're not. The soul is part of human nature. The person is, so to speak, that in which the soul happens. Okay, so in other words, all of your emotions, all of your memories, all of your relationships and so on, that people identify as you are not you. They're the things that are happening inside of you, but they don't, the sum total of them doesn't equal you. And again, this, this we've got to get it out of our minds that the inhumanness that we're seeing is something that came about by accident. It's a long process of some philosophical, metaphysical false turns. And some of the people advocating those false turns are doing so very deliberately because they've got to get rid of that component of humanity in order to make their plans work. Right. And that's the bad news. That part of humanity, I think, is more or less indestructible. Mm -hmm. And just at the moment that they think they've, you know, look at the history of the Soviet Union, look at the history of Mao's China, look at the history of Nazi Germany, just at the moment that they have all of their wonderful technocracy in place, it begins to fall apart. Right. Because it is precisely inhuman. We are seeing signs of it falling apart. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw a most bizarre thing. <laughs> uh, it is. Yeah. Uh, there was a, there was an interview of Wolf Blitzer talking to Nancy Pelosi. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> now, how do you, how do you rank that? This is very unusual behavior. I, I, I watched that and I'm thinking, okay, Nancy, here is one of your paid party shills whose allegiances have been clear from the get-go. <laughs> and he asks you a difficult question and you launch on this tirade that he doesn't know what he's talking about or that he's, you know, implication there, the implication is he's fundamentally stupid. <laughs> he's <their> guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, I, she is, you know, she is, her responses have always struck me as the classic response of a narcissist. Yeah. Because remember what she said when she was confronted with having gone to a hair salon without a mask. <laughs> oh, yeah. And her response was that of a classical narcissist. A classical narcissist is never sorry for what they do or is never sorry when they're caught out in a hypocrisy. They're always sorry for what you feel about it. <laughs> yes. Now, to me, that's narcissism. So in other words, all she's concerned about is her own power. She does not give one tinker's damn about any of her constituents that are wallowing in drug needles and human feces and so on and so forth. She's only interested in her power and it's time to get rid of the, you know what, I'm, I was about to use a naughty word. <laughs> but but uh, she was set up though, Joseph. Oh yeah, she was set up. 
Yeah, just like Wolf Blitzer set her up, you know. I mean, come on. Um, if if you if you can't answer a simple question from a friendly journalist, yes, then you have no business trying to pretend that you're representing people. That shows a fracture. I see those. Yes, I, we're seeing them a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. And we mm -hmm. saw them originally with Bernie's movement. Yes, uh, it was like, kind of like Bernie and the neoliberals going at it. Yes, and Bernie, uh, in a lot of ways, you know, it, it was a genuine movement. Whatever somebody would think about it, it had real excitement. Right. They were real. It was kind of like a its own version of kind of Marxist Trump. <laughs> but um, what the Democratic Party did is they splintered themselves there by basically moving Bernie to the side and putting Biden out as the front man. Mm -hmm. And it seems like Bernie went along with it nicely enough, but the people who were setting up were really committed to that Bernie side of things, the Bernie brothers, you know, mm -hmm. um, they really felt jilted. Oh, I, and I don't blame them. Yeah. Because what Bernie was to me was kind of the democratic equivalent of Ron Paul. Yes. And look what they did to Ron Paul, the Republican establishment. You're not allowed in the convention. Right. Thank, thank you, Mittens Romney. Yes. You're not allowed in the convention. So along comes Trump. Now, try and tell me that Trump didn't get Garner just because he was an outsider. Garner a lot of support from the Bernie supporters and a lot of support from the Ron Paul supporters. Yes. And that's the contingent that makes the difference now. That's the contingent that makes the difference now. Yeah. You know, and, you know, whatever you say about Bernie Sanders, what Sanders, if you listened carefully to him, you know, I'm not a socialist, folks, so don't worry, I'm not sliding into Marxism here. <laughs> but, but what Sanders was also saying was, we spend all of this money on defense, and we don't even know where all of it's going. We could easily fix some of the other glaring problems in this country with that money. Right. That's what he was saying. And that is, that's a heresy. That's a heresy. Yeah. Just like that's, Trump and, not doing foreign wars is a heresy. It's just like Trump not doing foreign wars. And let's go back to, to Ron Paul. What was he saying at the time? Well, we're spending all this ridiculous amount of money on defense. Yeah. You know, shades of Bernie Sanders. Yes. So, you know, I, I'm looking I'm looking at the so-called radical wings in each party, and I'm wondering, are they as radical as their spokesmen really make them out to be? Right. And I'm thinking, no, you're dealing with people that are fed up, and they're looking for some real representation because Swampington, D.C. is so out of touch with, you know, the fact that our bridges are falling apart out here and our schools are a mess. Right. And, you know, a policeman shoots somebody and the next thing you know, we've got to defund them all. Um, you know, it's 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 totally crazy. It's you totally a crazy. revolution. Exactly. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's fascinating. And I want to get into that because we're going to do. Uh, I can flash that up there. We're going to do some of these October surprises. I'm going to run a few of them in a bullet list at you and see what you think it gives any credence. But before we get into that, there's a couple of interesting things around what you just said uh, and what you said earlier about CERN that came uh, to me, which is you posted a blog on CERN about how CERN, which is the, actually the Large Hadron Collider at CERN, mm -hmm. um, 
that they were moving into this idea of parallel universes openly now. Mm -hmm. uh, and they've been accused of this. So there was a, an article in Science World, researchers at Large Hadron Collider are confident to make contact with parallel universe in days. And I'll just grab a section, which I think you quoted. Uh, if successful, a very new universe is going to be exposed. Mm -hmm. Modifying completely not only the physics books, but the philosophy books, too. That's the part that got me. The philosophy mm -hmm. books, Joseph. Yeah, the philosophy. Implicate with CERN and changing philosophy. Well, look... In the context in which they're speaking in the article, what they're what they are saying is that the idea of parallel universes, which is not multiverse theory, they hasten to add, which is the philosophy, um, that parallel universes are simply universes that exist in more than three spatial dimensions. Okay, and that they were going to find evidence of that, but. It was that little thing about philosophy that was the tip-off because, unfortunately, there are many very famous, well-known, established names in physics that adhere to multiverse theory. In other words, the idea that there is a, an, a universe out there for every timeline right. that when you make a choice or a group makes a choice, that brings into existence a certain universe. But there may be a universe out there that followed the other timelines, okay? And you have as many universes as there are timelines. And the philosophy part bothers me because what that, it, to my mind, leaves the door open to is the idea that, once again, a scientist can make a pronouncement about, let's say, Buddhism, and say, well, what we've discovered entirely disproves Buddhism. Right. And here's the equations that prove it. <laughs> right. So, in other words, you've got to take it on faith, number one, that these indecipherable hieroglyphics that, you know, tensor equations and so on, are absolutely disproving Buddhism. And number two, you have to take it on faith that the equations are correct. Right. And that the conclusions are correct. So yeah, they have they have carefully, just like you said earlier, they've carefully constructed a materialist narrative wherein science, follow the science, becomes the new mantra, and you've got a new priesthood. Yes. The high it's not a high priesthood, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and we've heard about these chips where you know there's such great quantum chips. And the people, when they come out and they talk about them, just like you pointed out when they were talking about CERN, the scientists would come out and be all kind of teary-eyed almost about how great it is to be at the moment of this great opening of CERN. I feel like I'm transformed into a new being. Yeah. <laughs> Very religious language. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I'm not worshiping at that altar. <laughs> exactly. No. Um, let's stay with the soul stuff for a moment. This was very interesting, uh, and the quote here is fascinating. AstraZeneca had to stop the COVID-19 vaccine trials after a volunteer developed neurological problems. You mm -hmm. did a, a very interesting blog on this, and then I went digging around on those trials. This is fascinating. Um, 
the quote is, they've killed God. I can't feel God. My soul is dead. That's the actual quote from the person in the vaccine trial. Mm -hmm. uh, not so far off from what Steiner was saying. Bingo. And also not so far off from what the Pentagon mm -hmm. uh, was saying in relation to the radical religious vaccine, where they were trying to shut off that God gene in the person's brain. All three of those things seem to come together quite nicely. Yeah, isn't that funny? Uh, there's no such thing as a coincidence. Wow. I, you know, these things to me, Daniel, are little telltale clues that we're looking at the real agenda. That we're looking at the real agenda. And it's interesting when you compare what she said with statements in, in the book of Revelations, because it's very clear that the book of Revelation says, if you take the mark, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, the kingdom of God, if you go back to uh, the Gospels, Christ says, is within you. Right. It's not a political thing. It is a, to, to, to ch cut to the chase, it's a spiritual discipline. Right. So if you shut off that part of your humanity, how do you get it back? Well, the only way to get it back is by some sort of external intervention that rips out whatever they've put into you. That's the only way. Yeah. And, you know, that's exactly what Revelations is about. You get to a certain point where the science has pressed so far that it requires an intervention to stop it. And I go back to what I've said before. It looks to me that after World War II, that the national security establishment was worried about precisely that problem. And how do they how do they short stall it? How do they how do they forestall that possibility? Well, the way I think that they've figured out was well, let's try and sneak it in and do it gradually. And um, again, I don't think they're going to be successful. Because what they're doing, she has, in other words, that quotation is very interesting from another point of view. She has enough of her humanity left that she's noticed it. Yes. And it's a problem to yes. her. Yeah. So they weren't able to turn it off entirely. Right. That's a problem. For them, that's a problem. Because... If you leave that component there, you know, let's pick Buddhism again. I'm a, I'm a pick on Buddhism <laughs> mood tonight. But if you look at Buddhism, for example, you have an entire tradition of disciplines and spiritual exercises and practices and meditations and so on that are designed precisely to free you from entanglement with the world, to get in contact with the divine, with transcendence, whatever you want to call it. And again, are you going to be able to turn off centuries of that tradition and its inevitable biological Rupert Sheldrake morphogenetic field effects on the human organism that it has and has had? Are you going to be able to turn it off with a shot or a pill or a mask <laughs> or a mask? <laughs> yeah. No, it ain't happening. 
And these folks are such, you know, this is the problem with these people. They're such materialists that they cannot think outside of that box. Right. And they're presuming to, to lead the rest of humanity, most of which has thought in those terms for most of its history. And they're planning to do this in, you know, the twinkle of an eye to quote St. Paul, and it ain't going to work. <laughs> you know, it's not working. Case in point, her quotation. Well, what's interesting is they seem to abdicate all their leadership because there's no ethics involved in what they do. There's no ethics and there's no morality. Yeah. You know, if, if, if the end goal is this great glorious new world order where everybody's getting along in peace, well, they're getting along in peace because they're part of a hive. They're part of a collective. Yes. They're, yeah. you know, they're the, they're the shaped stones in the Masonic Ashlar. And this you know, is transhumanist fantasy. Yeah, this is the transhumanist fantasy. You know, they've been telling us this. The secret societies have been telling us what they really are all about all along. And unfortunately, again, it's anti-human. We're not blocks in a pyramid, unable to move. Right. Uh, there's a couple of things with that, actually, because I want to look through the eyes of the transhumanists for a moment, which you do. Sure. Very well. And you've been warning us about them for a long time. I want to put that on the record because over the last couple of decades inside of your work, you've been pointing out the kind of Kurzweil transhumanist mentality that's saying, I'm merging in with these machines. And by the way, I'm coming in from an occult viewpoint, yeah. which is... I'm going in because I don't want to go up the tree of life in the spiritual fashion. I want a shortcut, which mm -hmm. is I'm going to jump from animal to mineral and move up this way with my consciousness so I can leave all that spiritual stuff behind and just become this immortal, super kind of uh, scientifically material being mm -hmm. that bypasses all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guess what? Guess what? That locks you into an everlastingness of no morality, no joy, no beauty, no love. In other words, you're trying to imitate Lucifer. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's not a that's not a future I want. <laughs> <laughs> that's where they're going. Everyone, you're watching the Dark Journalist uh, program. We're here with Dr. Joseph Farrell. And we're going through uh, some of the things from Babylon's banksters to hidden finance, rogue networks, and secret societies, which I'm going to quote from in a moment. Uh, some of your very classic books, Covert Wars and the Clash of Civilizations, which a lot of the conversation, although you wrote the book maybe three or four years ago, a lot of the conversations that we're having, uh, really those things you presage so well in those books, and we're going to get into that because I have another interesting quote there in relation to what's happening. Um, and I also want to remind you that we're going to take questions in the second part of the program that's coming up. Ask them all in caps, and Miss Olivia will be dishing those out for us. Uh, how are you doing over there? Doing great. I already have enough questions. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And we have a huge crowd tonight. I do want to uh, point this out. The name of the Pentagon briefing that I was referencing Pentagon briefing on removing the God gene uh, quotes fun facts. You can find it on YouTube and on BitChute. Um, and that's that's just the idea of what it is if you need to find it. Yes. I need to take a very brief break. So I'll, yes. while you're talking about this, let me I'll be right back. <laughs> I have plenty to yammer on about. 
We'll see you shortly. Uh, that is wow. This, this is Dr. Carroll right out of the gate. Um, uh, a lot of people are saying this is the best episode <laughs> that they've been in a really long time. Wow. Well, you know, it's incredible because I'm going to point this out. We got Professor Peter Dale Scott out of retirement recently, and he came on the show and he delivered two amazing shows that I highly recommend. Uh, and he also gave me about a 10 page definition of the deep state. Um, which, you know, he hasn't done anything on this since 2015. And we had been doing interviews with him every year, right up until about 2017. But I had a feeling about this, and he had a feeling about this. And we came together, and we did these episodes. And then Catherine Fitz came on, and uh, as I was referencing RFK Jr., all of these people in the background, all these conversations that are happening, it seems like everyone has this sense that this is such a crucial period of time. It is right in line with the election because that's like the focal point. And so we have the October surprise as the theme tonight, this kind of deep state attack on the USA. It, that's, this is kind of the, um, this is the center point of what they're doing. And so now uh, with Joseph, we have this incredible kind of background that he's been laying out for decades, really. I mean, at least a good 15 years. And these books are remarkable. You know, little by little, the picture of what they are starting to come together. And uh, so now we're seeing this play out. But I have that been having that feeling over the past couple of months that everyone is stepping up their game and coming into this. And like the professor coming out of retirement, and, uh, you know, people who are very well known to this show, like Gigi Young, for example, doing incredible work. And really, uh, Catherine Austin fits some of the most incredible work of her career Absolutely. going on right now. So it's remarkable. And Joseph is back. I'm back. <laughs> so, Joseph, I want to get into uh, a couple of things that have been going on that are just interesting to me to tie in this idea of a kind of supernatural system, even around the financial question. Mm -hmm. which you covered very well in Babylon's Banksters. Mm -hmm. um, and here's how I'm going to come into it. Fauci warns Thanksgiving gatherings may need to be, quote, sacrificed. <laughs> <laughs> That's his quote. Uh, uh -huh. Sacrifice is on. And uh, we do see that uh, this modern system of finance takes a lot, as you pointed out in Babylon's Banksters, from the original Babylonian uh, mm -hmm. setup. And there are basically two ideas going on there. One of them was money with no debt, where the kind of transactions were exchanged on clay tablets. And then there was this other uh, very kind of occult, supernatural version of all of this. Mm -hmm. How does this relate to what we're seeing now? Well, I think it is absolutely crucial to it. Because in the process of writing that book, and then the, the follow-on uh, Financial Vipers of Venice, I came across a book by David Graeber. I'm looking at it right across the room, called Debt. And it's a book, really, that is about all of these studies that have been done in the European Union of the idea that, well, maybe infinite debt's not so bad. <laughs> and in the course of reading these studies, they also mention, well, you know, there's also the idea of a jubilee, which again takes us back to Sumer and Babylon. So let's what was the jubilee in Sumer and Babylon? Well, there were two kinds of money that circulated in those societies. One was a cuneiform tablet, their equivalent of paper money, mm 
which was <coughs> <coughs> pardon me, 